0: Hello, it's Joe from Jack CPA coming to you again on Friday and bringing you some information on the hot topic related to audits. We have been hearing lately in the news about how the IRS is ramping up, so everyone needs to get ready. And so I wanted to give my take on that. I've been doing this since 2012 and... So I got some skin in the game, so to speak, been through a few audits and actually was up late last night working in working on an audit till one in the morning. gonna wrap that up today hopefully. and uh, we actually had uh, helping out a client with another audit earlier this week. and so gonna talk about that. Gun um, it's uh, this topic is important because there is speculation that the IRS has been, Underfunded, so it has not had the resources that it needs. And uh, there has been the inflation reduction act has been passed and there is a huge budget allocated to the IRS. And so everyone is wondering how is this going to affect them? Does this matter? What should they do? What can they do? And I get it, you know, and there are, are people out there, there. There's two sides of this. There are people out there that are saying, hey, you have nothing, you have nothing to worry about if you're just doing everything right. And then there are other people out there that are saying the IRS is just going to use this to bully people, to target people. And, and we'll see, you know, um, I think that there probably is let me rephrase that because i think that i'm trying to be a little bit more uh, politically correct there there are people who abuse the tax code the current system without a doubt without a doubt some of that is because that's who they are they know what they're doing and They have gotten away with it for so long that they think that they're invincible. And there are other people who have just heard what I would call backyard tax talk and are doing the best that they can and are not working with advisors who are competent or who are confident to be able to pull a client aside and tell them, hey, this is just not, not how it goes. The tax business can be a stressful business at, at times. You're dealing with, with finances, you're dealing with taxes, a very stressful thing. and um, And it's hard when you get a client who hasn't planned, who doesn't plan and who just has developed really bad financial habits and puts themselves in a situation at the end of the year, when it comes to taxes, whether that be from poor accounting, whether that be from poor planning, whether that be from a lifestyle that spends more that spends the taxes, you know, basically they're spending, you know, their profits, but they're spending the taxes that they owe, to the government. So there are, are a lot of reasons. It's a mixed bag out there. And especially in the, the market that I'm in, which is the small mid-sized business, it's a mixed bag out there. And so this is, this is really relevant. I do think that, you know, part of this is we're not going to raise taxes, but we're going to raise tax revenue by enforcing the current tax code. And there are thoughts out there that this can raise billions and billions of dollars. And I don't necessarily doubt that. I really don't. I just think that, like I said, the IRS has been underfunded for many years. People have gotten away with bad advice or just pure negligence. So, yeah, I do think that this is relevant. But, you know, the other side of that is is someone who's really trying to do the best that they can with what they have. Really trying to do the right thing. And you know being subject to this new environment that may that may mean an audit for them and you know that's going to cost them they're going to have to pay their CPA you know maybe that there's there's an adjustment there so without a doubt audits are going to increase without a doubt and so what i'm hoping to talk about is are some things that that i know can help avoid those things because there is a black box in regards to how people are selected for audits. If anyone tells you this is the, this is the reason you're being audited. It's that's based upon anecdotal evidence. So we don't, we don't know the exact science between uh, about how clients are selected for audits, but we do have an idea. We do see some patterns. We, Our instincts tell us that there are certain things that are triggering this. And uh, so I'm gonna talk about those things. There, there are five things that I'm gonna talk about today. And when you, when you learn these things after you're done, you're gonna be able to go back and talk to your CPA about them, get them implemented so that you can decrease your audit risk. Cause I do think that these things do decrease your audit risk. I don't think that they are surefire in respect to here's how to hundred percent avoid an audit. But I do think that if you do these things, uh, at least you're not increasing your chance for an audit. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what you can do to decrease your audit risk. So let's get into them. The first thing that, that, um, that you can do is what i've heard and what i've noticed is that it seems to be better to extend your return the reason for this is that it's speculated that they are when they're you know running their their numbers and their batches on on you know, who they're going to audit for a respective year, that that if you, if you, if you wait longer to extend your return, the idea is that you're, you know, you're in those later batches. So they're running these, you know, these returns are being filed. A big inflow comes in at the beginning of the year around deadline. They're running their analysis and, you know, they probably have some certain benchmarks and that they're, that they are looking at in regards to how many people they're going to audit. And so the idea is that once, if you file later that you, 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 you're, you're not in those initial batches. And so by the time you file, the idea is that they've already selected the majority of the people that they're going to audit. So, which is interesting, right? Because, I think that many people think contrary to that. So in respect to thinking that if you file late, that, that increases your, your audit risk. Okay. So that's the first thing, which leads to the second thing, which is if you extend your return, then you can pull a wage and income transcript before you file. So wage and income transcript comes around June and July. And what this is, is a report from the IRS that shows everything that has been reported to you throughout the year. And this is important because we miss things. You could miss a 1099 statement an interest statement you can miss informational forms you know maybe you're running a business and they're they're, they're paying your personal uh, social security uh, into your personal name as opposed to your llc and so you're reporting all your income on your llc but they report it to your personal well that's going to trigger an audit because they're saying You know, the IRS is showing that you have made money report it to your personal name and they're not seeing it, even though you have reported it. So that's why it's always just a really good practice to run a a wage and income transcript to compare what you have to what they have. And it happens all the time. I see it where, you know, there someone forms an LLC throughout the year, their business owner does not. I mean, their their payer does not update the EIN information, the entity information. And so they report it to that individual's Social Security. That person thinks that it's being reported on their LLC, S-Corp, partnership, whatever that they formed, but it's not. So they report it there. But the IRS receives record that that they actually made money on their personal name. So there's a disconnect red flag. You're at least going to get an automatic notice and maybe a in-person audit. So if you wait later and extend your return, you can wait to pull those wage and income transcript who can pull them. You can pull them yourself, but also, um, a power of attorney can a CPA, anyone who can be a POA, can pull one if you give them a 2848 they can pull that for you and so you can just have some peace of mind that at least you're not missing anything and we try to do that for clients that we know have a lot going on it just gives us some peace of mind as well that we have everything uh, needed for that client okay the third one <clears throat> i started thinking about this actually this tax year and we are going through an audit with the client right now. And this was an issue that came up. So it, it is relevant. I had some intuition about it. I was talking to a manager here about this as we were doing returns. And that is that you have to be careful about how you are classifying what you're reporting as cost of goods sold. So in, when you file a business return, there's a section called cost of goods sold. Most businesses have what they call variable costs, costs that are related to you know, flow-through costs, costs that are related to selling whatever you're selling and they're variable. So if you're selling a product, it'd be the cost of that product. You're selling a service, it would be the cost of that service. The issue is, is that where that's reported at on, the, on when you file your taxes is an 1125A. And if you read the instructions for that form, it is the 1125A is really for businesses that have inventory. The reason why it's confusing, though, is because there is on the 1125A a line that says cost of labor. So it's cost of labor related to cost of goods sold. And so people have cost of labor and they report it there. And so this, the way it flows through to page one of the return is cost of goods sold. But as I stated, cost of goods sold, the 1125A is really for businesses with inventory. And if you read the instructions, it says this. So I think that this is a common mistake. So it creates a potential red flag because if you're an industry that is service based reporting, lots of costs of goods sold. Then with, with no inventory, cause you're not selling inventory then that, that can be an issue. And we, and we saw this. So we had some service based companies who on their financials, they have cost of services. So they have income, cost of services. And, and so they have a gross margin and that's how we like to see it. And so what do we do? We take, we take that information and we put it into the tax return, just as we see it in the financials. And we don't even think twice about it because they, it just, it just makes sense. Logically, it makes sense. And like I said this is exactly what happened for us when we were we have a service based client who has cost of cost of services it's a variable cost they they only incur this when they sell the pro, you know sell the product so I mean I'm sorry when they deliver the service and so we reported that the same and it came up in the audit do you have inventory Talked to us about your inventory county method, and we were just like, "Hey, hold on, we don't, we don't have inventory. You know, this is why we report it there because it's cost of labor, which the 1125A has a line for cost of labor. But that form is really for companies with inventory, so be careful about that. I think that is. I mean, I, I've been doing this, like I said, since 2012, and I can tell you, every firm that I've been on, we've how I just described that cost of labor is treated or cost of services is treated for service-based company is pretty unanimous. I have seen it where, you know, that wasn't the case, but that maybe that's a very small percentage of the cases that I see. So I think that that's a big thing and important to watch for is uh, when you're looking at your return, are you a service-based company? If you're a service-based company, should you really be reporting, be reporting costs of goods sold? Okay. So moving on, which brings me to the other thing, which is the NAIS CS code. So this is the informational item. I don't think people pay that much attention to, but it is important because when they're running audits, they're running, uh, especially if you're e-file, they're running these, um, these analytics. And what they're doing is they're comparing your numbers to a population that population that they're comparing it to is probably your NAICS code. So even if you look up the IRS information reported for certain NAICS codes, which is the NAICS code is the industry code that, that explains what you do, what, what category of industry do you, do you fall in? And so when you prepare your return, you put the NAICS code that, is related to your industry. And and now that is what the bucket that you're going into. So when the IRS releases these reports on here are these different industries and here's the data, their income, sales, all those things. I mean, you can go pull that off the internet and you can see it doesn't go back too far. I think it's 2013 or 2015 is the latest that you can pull depending on the type of return that you follow. But that's what they're comparing it to. So you have to be really careful on the naics code that you're selecting you want to pick the one that is most uh, that is relevant there are some times where you're not really sure where that falls so you, you just want to do a little bit more research on that because if you're picking a a code that says maybe cost of goods sold is applicable for your industry and you're not reporting it and so that you know that's going to be an outlier so they're looking for outliers they're looking for data that is not in line with averages. It just, it just stands out. Doesn't make sense based upon their population. So um, if you're putting the right code, at least you're you're lining up with your industry. And um, if not, then they're gonna be comparing you to another industry that just inherently is gonna make you stand out because, you know, most industries, cost structures, Are the same mostly i mean you have your five percent stars you have your five percent laggers but in between everyone is is around the same is is doing around the same thing excuse me okay so that's important the last one is retained earnings and this happens a lot where You know retained earnings has come this catch all account where I'm not really sure how, where to put it we need to we need to adjust it and so we're we're hitting retain earnings um and uh and so you want to be careful about that um you want to make sure that retained earnings is, is is rolling forward if you don't know what that means ask your cpa they should have retain earnings roll forward Worksheet. You want to make sure that's rolling forward, and you want to be careful about making any adjustments to that account, because retain earnings is is essentially it's the history of your cumulative profit, losses, distributions, and contributions. So when something is hitting that account that is not related to the contributions or distributions, it's potentially prior income or expenses that were not accounted for. That's essentially what it means. And so anytime that that account is moving. It, it, it begs the question, why and what were the, what, what are the tax implications of that? And so we, we, we run a retained earnings, roll forward analysis on all of our clients, new clients. This is a difficult thing because you don't have that history there. And so it's just an exercise that you want to to do and you want to be thinking about and be careful with about hitting that account without, without understanding the implications of that adjustment. So we talked about extending your return, pulling a wage and income transcript, being careful about what you're reporting as cost of goods sold in codes retained earnings. I would also put, you wanna make sure your salaries and wages are tying to your, your 941 reports. We also do a reconciliation every year for that. That's another thing. You know, it's just making sure that you're matching up with what you've reported to the IRS. And making sure that you're reporting to the IRS what kind of company you are. You know, those are just areas that are prone for error because people just roll these things forward over and over again, based upon the prior year, and no one ever takes a look at them. So I think when you start doing those things, you're at least going to decrease your audit risk. You're not going to increase it anymore. If you're not doing these things, I think from my experience, from what I've seen, like I said, we we, we are are going through an audit and that was in, in respect to this issue about cost of goods sold. That was the first question. Also a question about retained earnings. So be careful. I enjoyed my time with you. With you all, you can go to jackcpa.com you can also shoot me an email at joe at jackcpa.com if you have any questions this is my busy season if i don't get to you don't get your feelings hurt subscribe to this podcast um also we have some blog posts at jackcpa.com we do have a a a newsletter there we try to send out an e-letter every now and then talking about these very topics so love you guys and we'll talk to you soon enjoy the long weekend god bless